I'm Sarah Grace McCandless, and this is On Brand, where we take a closer look at our growing desire for true connection with the companies that we engage with. You know, one of the key ways to connect, of course, is through storytelling, and that is an art within itself. And today's guest is a true expert. I would call him a storytelling guru, in fact, um, in this space. Dave Nadelberg is the creator of Mortified, and again, a true storytelling expert. He's here with us today to talk about the pillars of storytelling and how does this apply when you think about it in that kind of brand organization company space and talk about his projects as well. Dave, welcome to On Brand. Hello. Hi, it's so good to see you. Um, so excited, so much to talk about here. I mean, honestly, really, I wasn't kidding. I really consider you to be the storytelling guru. Um, and I'm so excited to have you share um, a little bit more about that with our listeners and our viewers. But let's start sure. with you. Okay. Tell me about um, your background, where you grew up, and kind of what led you into this love for storytelling. Well, I grew up like you in suburban Detroit area. Uh, and I was, you know, like a lot of us, I was exposed to storytelling through, um, you, you know, a parent. Mm -hmm. uh, my mom was a nursery school teacher and she read a lot of children's books and just even like kept like, and as I got older, like she just kept having, getting like, I don't know, like piles and piles of, of kids books. And so when I would be bored, I would kind of wander into the basement, our spooky basement Ooh. and just kind of sit down and look at all these like picture books, even if, as I was like too old to read them. And I was really fascinated, um, I just really liked the reading them. Um, but years later, I kind of realized that I am fascinated by the fact that like children's books, authors are able to condense using very little words um, and little few pages uh, complex, like the DNA of, of what drives a story. Um, and in many ways I, I find them to be far more ambitious and talented than somebody who writes a big sprawling novel. Cause mm -hmm. those guys, th those people have the room to tell a story. Yeah, that's a great point. And I, I agree with you on that. I mean, I've written uh, things of different formats and different lengths, whether it's for more of the business professional world or creative world. Um, and I think the shorter uh, is is much harder for sure. So it's interesting yeah. um, that that was your experience. So that sort of, you know, got your love started for for storytelling and, and writing as well, would you say? Would you consider that to be a love and a passion? Yeah, um, I... Yeah, I, I, I got into writing very early on. Um, I just always knew that I, I enjoyed that and, and creating stories. Uh, I moved to Los Angeles in uh, the late 90s and thought I was going to be a like a, an animated screenwriter. I wanted to write for Pixar and Jim Henson. And actually, one of my very first jobs was writing um, online digital content for, um, we didn't call it content back then. <laughs> uh, for uh, for Jim Henson's uh, wow company. yeah I don't know if I knew that um, okay so you go so you grow up in Michigan you've got this love for storytelling from from your mother and you move out to LA you've got these creative dreams and yeah. you're doing that and then mortified let's talk about the origin story of mortified mortified sure so basically I wound up actually having some success in my early twenties in terms mm -hmm. of like selling screenplays and, and all things were happening and not just screenplays, but also like reality TV shows. Um, and it was, it was pretty exciting. Um, and then they all kind of crashed and burned because that's just the ebbs and flows of what happens. Mm -hmm. 
but I saw that as failure and uh, mistakenly, but, but I, I did nonetheless. And I had found this love letter that I wrote to a girl when I was in high school and I kept reading it. And I just thought it was hilarious and I was sharing it with my roommates. And um, I thought me like in the ashes of, of like what I thought was a doldrum in, in my career, I said, you know what? I, it'd be fun to like rent a theater and put this on stage, like read aloud, like have me and other people read aloud their childhood writings. Um, and that was the Genesis for, uh, mortified a show that eventually took over my life <laughs> and took me away from writing, um, uh, you know, cartoons and all that kind of stuff. And, and suddenly immersed me in the hyper real where people, uh, where I've, I've spent most of my career collecting and, um, editing, um, and working with people on their, you know, uh, bringing their childhood diaries, their poems, their letters, whatever they wrote when they were 13 and thought they were geniuses and, uh, you know, working with them to share those with total strangers on stage. What a concept too. I mean, you know, and I know you said it started on stage and started in Los Angeles um, as a live stage show. So this is real people, right? Sharing from things that were probably never meant to be shared. Right. Uh, right. In public, yep. yeah. certainly not on a stage. Um and, you know, but probably, you know, what you start to experience is maybe a lot of, oh, my gosh, I can relate, um, regardless of where the, these experiences are taking place, whether it was in the suburbs of Detroit, Michigan, yeah. or it was in, you know, uh, Northern California or Texas or whatnot. So you start in L.A., you have a live stage show and things really started to take off. What happens next with Mortified? Yeah. So it was supposed to just be a one night experiment. And then mm -hmm. I was going to go back to, you know, the drawing board. Uh, but I, it just, as people like, when's the next one? And I was like, next one, what? <laughs> and, uh, so I started doing shows and then people started being like, you should do this in New York. You should do this in San Francisco. And so I've, we started, I started kind of doing that and grew out a, a little bit of a team. And, um, we now have, I mean, tw almost, you know, I don't know, 19, 18 years later, we're uh it's in 20 cities around the world um we've done multiple tv shows there's right now a tv show airing in tel aviv or in israel i should say it's produced in tel aviv wow um and uh what else you know we have 200 episodes of a podcast uh we've done multiple books uh, a game that just came out last year called I Can't Believe I Did That. So a bunch of projects. And actually, it's turned into a production company where now we're making other um, content. Like we're we're producing a, a children's, an educational. Actually, this is interesting, full circle. Uh, <laughs> like doing a thing for kids. Um, an educational show for tweens funded by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a.k.a. the Sesame Street people. And uh, that is a show called Ooh, You're in Trouble. And that's um, that is a podcast. Oh my gosh, I love it. Wow, that is just, I mean, the expansion and growth, it really took off. And of course, you know, full disclosure here. I mean, the way that you and I originally met years ago, yes. actually, my my introduction to Mortified was I was in a bookstore and I was walking by and I saw this for those who are watching the video version of this interview. And you can see why this would have caught my eye. Okay, so the cover of this, this is a collection of stories that had been you know, told on stage, this mortified collection, there's a few. And there's this picture on the front that looks like exactly what you would think, that sort of that awkward, 
uh, school photo. I have one that is so similar to this. I thought it was me on the cover. Mine has purple glasses. I still obviously look purple because I'm wearing it today. Um, and I was freelancing at the time and um, consulting, but I was doing a lot of freelance writing and, and reached out to you and interviewed you for actually two different publications I was writing for and said, at the time I was in DC and said, hey, if you ever, if you ever come to DC, let me know because I sure love to be involved. And I think it was just months later that you had expanded to DC, Portland, um, and Austin, I think all launched yeah. at the same time. Right. Um, so, and I think, you know, there's something that's really intriguing about this whole concept because it takes storytelling into a different world. And back in a time where we were documenting our, our thoughts and our feelings that are stories in themselves. Right. Yeah. Um, what do you think is, is so and different and sweet about that time or universal about that time um, and the experiences that that we were having as tweens and teens? Well, you know, what happens to you at 14 has a greater impact on you than what happens to you at, uh, typically speaking, I should say, than what happens to you at 24, 34, mm -hmm. 44, and so on. Um, and that's, simply a matter of math. As far as I'm concerned, uh, you haven't lived that much life. So anything that happens to you, um, uh, is a big deal. Uh, just, it just took up a bigger ratio in your life and you haven't learned the lessons yet that you will survive, that it won't kill you getting rejected from prom. Um, <laughs> you haven't had that many setbacks. Um, so, you know, obviously some big things can happen to you in your 30s and 40s and, 20, you know, as you're and they will put a dent in you and they will stick with you. But but really, the the things that happen when we're teenagers and, and, and maybe even before put us on a path and many ways they put us on paths. Uh, I mean, something that I deal with in, in therapy all the time um, <laughs> in every relationship that I've had is like, oh, yeah, I'm still doing that thing from childhood. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, all these subliminal things that you're like. Oh, right. The way that my, you know, I grew up in the certain way. I'm still doing that idiotic thing. So it, it, it just, it's just, there's a magnitude. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's something there too. Um, you know, it's a vulnerable time, but I think that word vulnerability has really transformed in itself. And it's interesting to see how it's coming up um, in leadership um, and also in the business world. And I want to get back to that. Um, yeah. but you mentioned something early on. You talked about the DNA of storytelling. Let's go there for a little bit. What is sure. in the, what's in the DNA of storytelling? Let's get in there. What are in those pillars? Dig in. Dig yeah. in. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's like, um, it's interesting. There, there really is. Um, there really is just some simple concepts that is, is, unless you're talking about experimental storytelling, in which case, I don't know, but mm -hmm. like in, in terms of like story is story is story. So, um, and I think the best way to learn story is not by watching or reading the greatest books or by watching the greatest films. I think that is a garbage way to learn because those are full of nuances and those are beautiful and complicated. The best way to learn about story is by watching um, something really formulaic and, uh, you know, like watch a really high concept Martin Lawrence comedy. Like watch a Disney Channel made for TV movie. Mm. Uh, watch a Hallmark movie because uh, unless it's an, unless it's something that's truly awful, essentially, ostensibly, it just has the engine in it um, and doesn't have any of the nuance or grace. 
And um, basically the, the engine is there's a character who really wants a thing that they don't have and they go off on this journey to uh, chase it. Ultimately, and this is something that I often will teach in, in storytelling workshops, uh, a character has a problem and your story is a big monkey wrench just constantly trying to fix that problem. That's all it is. Uh, there's many things that make that story more exciting and better. And there's ways we, there's other layers to that, of course. But ultimately, you know, I want a thing. Uh, here's the reason I want that thing. And I go off and, and I try to have it. And inherent to wanting the thing is that you don't have it. So mm -hmm. therefore it is a problem in your life that you are monkey wrenching and trying to fix. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And I, I'm thinking about that. Obviously you can apply that when we think about the, how that applies to books we read or movies we do see, um, you know, you see that in there. And then I'm, I'm thinking about how does that apply if I'm a company or an organization True. and maybe the problem I'm trying to tee up is a problem my customer or my target customer might have. And yep. I'm coming in as how I'm going to solve it. I think this kind of ties into, you know, you've, you've evolved Mortified and, and what you do with it. And that includes, um, you know, teaching storytelling to companies and organizations. Yep. So talk to me a little bit about that. What's what are some of the similarities and differences when it comes to working with a company versus one on one with a person and their own personal um, background? Um, for me, not a lot. Uh, you know what I do with 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 Mortified is um, you know people bring me stuff. They bring me their childhood writings, right? And they could be actors and writers and artists, but very often they're not. Mm -hmm. Um, and our job is to sort of take the collection of stuff and find a story in there and then, you know, edit, you know, make that into like a seven to 10 minute, uh, monologue and, and to not edit it in a way that it's like reality TV where you're like heavily editing, but just, you know, figuring out how to mm -hmm. lightly, like, you know, I can't have you read your entire diary on stage because that would take nine hours. So inherently you have to make some editorial decisions. And, um, and so it's about, uh, I look at it as less story writing and more story mining. So mm. we're like looking. And so that's kind of what I do with, 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 it, with, a, with a company, you know, I'll do like, like an hour to 90 minute workshop, but it's just giving them, I like to demystify story and and let people know this is not the purview of artists this is not just for you know um people who consider themselves to be writers um it is for everybody and basically if you have a message uh that you are trying to communicate which pretty much everybody does mm -hmm. um and you want to story is really just a delivery system for that message it's just a way of packaging it it is not a panacea it is not a thing that works for um it is not the best way to deliver a message it's a way and it's a great way and it's a way that is allows you to deliver information uh in a way that your audience is wired to care about like we are hardwired to care if information is delivered in the form of a story because it makes us connect it makes us listen it makes us cry sometimes though it's just fine to tell people information mm -hmm. you know yeah. um, and that's what uh, certainly if you are a mark so i always say like if you're a marketer you want to make people um you want to deliver a message about soap and do you want to make people care about that soap 
Maybe. Is that hard? Hell yeah. Um, uh, so you can consider using story um, to do that. And I just try to demystify that. But if you're an educator, you're trying to, uh, you know, give historical facts and data to your, to your students. And if you're presenting it in the form of a story, well, that's an easier way for them to retain that information. And this goes on for, for doctors talking to patients. This goes to um, really any, any career, as far as I'm concerned, um, that story is, is, and, and you can do that with any bits of data. Like story is just a collection of data, of mm -hmm. like data buckets, um, just again, organized in a way that, uh, and, and framed in a way that makes you care about that information. You know, you, you make some really great points there. And one of the things you said, you know, kind of an example was marketing and like, you know, I make soap, I'm selling soap. Yeah. Do you think that today's customer cares about the soap or the company that makes the soap or both? Both. I mean, yeah. certainly I buy products because of some nonsense, um, feel good thing. Like, okay, let's look at wine. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, I know, I know nothing about wine. Um, and, um, generally most people are in that category and generally people buy their wine or chocolates for that matter, mm -hmm. based on, um, the label. This seems kind of classy and hip enough and, or whatever it is. And so if you, and same with chocolate, like I recently bought some chocolate because it said, I like the packaging and uh, I knew that it wasn't as garbage as Hershey's, sorry, Hershey's, but um, like, and I, but they said something on the back that was like, we recycle some, whatever, you should feel good about buying this. And so of course I bought into the, the, the story it was telling me, which is like, you're saving the world by eating this shitty food. And, um, and I, I bought it and I enjoyed the chocolate and it was actually very good, but sometimes I'll just, so sometimes I am buying it because of the, the marketing, the, the, the story, but also sometimes because the product is just very good and you just notice that and, you know, uh, and, and sometimes that story they're telling you isn't just garbage. I'm being a little cynical. Mm -hmm. Like sometimes it's like, yeah, you know, Tom's shoes is helping people by giving them sneakers, I guess. I, I hope. I yeah, know. yeah, definitely. Well, and I think that that gets back to the authenticity question too, because you know, um, I was having this conversation actually with um, Natasha Case, uh, who's the the CEO and co-founder of Cool House, and about not, you know, they're a very purpose-driven brand, and they have been from the get-go. But their actions back up their words, you know. Otherwise, it's just words, and it's like, does it really matter? Or is this just sort of like a marketing promotional give back? Um, and I, I, that makes me think again about story. You know, if you're a, a company or an organization, if you don't know your story, where do you think is a good place to start to figure that out? Um, look at your problem. Like uh, ide you identify um, who's your protagonist. Um, it is probably you, but it could be your customers. It could be something else. Identify a, pro a protagonist, identify what that protagonist wants, then ask yourself, why does that protagonist want that thing? What are the stakes to it? And if you can communicate those things and, and like why they don't have it. Um, and then all you got to do is add the one extra step. Here's how I'm going to, or here's how that protagonist is going to attempt to 
solve that problem. Mm. But the but the 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 reason we're caring, we don't inherently care that you have a problem. Like, um, if uh, if Sarah is thirsty right now, and you if you told me that you're thirsty and you need some water, I'd be like, okay. But if you told me I'm thirsty because I live in Texas and my water has been, you know, cut off for weeks or something like this, or whatever your reason is, I'm obviously giving a very um, a dramatic one. Um, then I now care about you. So the why is that engine of like the connection that now, even if I've never had your experience, I know what it's like to be sidelined or whatever, you know, whatever you're telling me in your motivation for why you want the thing that you want. Um, is that a rambly answer? I think it's no, you know what? I think you're, I think you're spot on and it actually does tie it. There's, there's a lot of themes in some of the conversations I've been having. Um, it's one of the things I really enjoy about the show is start to see this kind of connective tissue. And one of them is this core of looking at the why looking at the, and really understanding what your why is. And you just touched on that there too. Um, and it actually made me think of another conversation I had, um, about a month or two ago, um, sure with Carrie Melissa Jones, who's a kind of a community, she's a community expert on building actual, you know, true communities um, online and, and offline experiences as well. Um, how do you think story feeds into or builds community? You certainly built one with Mortified. Oh, that's, yeah. Um, well, I mean, since caveman times, we've sat around campfires and shared medicine. Mm -hmm. Um often sometimes literally sharing um, um, <laughs> medicine but uh but often in the form of you know stories make us feel better stories um transform us and um they define our culture and they create culture and having that sense of and they give us identity which is and and therefore purpose and and i find like when humans are um have purpose uh, we feel more comfortable. So I know that, uh, so I'm somebody who deals with depression and I know that when I am most depressed, it is often exacerbated by, um, I wouldn't say necessarily caused by, cause sometimes just stuff happens. Mm -hmm. Right. But, uh, but it can be, um, heightened by if I don't, if I'm not living in a story, then, I will be uncomfortable. And that is not a conscious thought most people have, but I do think it is a thing that affects everybody. Mm -hmm. Like you need to be, you need to know that you're living in a story. And so you'll feel more comfortable if you're like, well, I'm, I'm aiming towards this thing. And so my compass is pointing in a certain, you know, my compass is pointing in a certain direction. And, um, and th and that's and that's where we feel a little more rooted. I think that's where religion often helps people in life because there are no certainties, especially those who don't have a lot of resources. Um, that is something that is free, and there's like a dangled carrot of like go to heaven or all these other rewards that are later, mm -hmm. and so it gives people um, a guiding principle. Uh, but so does allegiance to sports teams. So does you know a million other things. Um, so does the the idea that one day I'm going to retire and, you know, buy a boat and sail around the world. Like all of those things help us to live in a story. And when we don't know what story we're in, we freak out, which is also a good thing to do, by the way. Like I'm not saying we should always be in a story. Um, 
it's sometimes really good to be like, sit in the discomfort. Well, speaking of discomfort, I mean, um, this has been quite, you know, the last 12 to 16 months. Um, we've been in a real, I mean, we've been through crisis before, but it's been like a century since there's been one of this magnitude with a global impact. And I'm curious what your thoughts are. Has this impacted the priority and need for story, the way we tell stories? Mm. The, what, what's the impact on story over the last year? And what do you think it's going to look like moving forward? Fascinating question. Do we need story more now because of pandemics? And um, I don't know. I don't know. Um, my instinct is to say, ah, the more things stay change, the more they mm -hmm. stay the same. Uh, but it does seem that our appetite for, I think our appetite is more for cohesion. Mm -hmm. uh, at least mine is. Like, I hate rancor like at least in, in like politics and, and, and all of that. And I just think we're, and, and also just pop culture. And I just think we're addicted to rancor. We're, we're addicted to noise and, um, and, and just sort of nastiness. And like, I, for all the benefits of things like Twitter, I think it is ultimately not a good thing. Um, and, uh, because I just think it's just a lot of shouty siloed people. And, um, so yeah, I, for me, uh, it, there's a more of an appetite for cohesion. And I guess that's the story I tell, like that's the world mm -hmm. that I point towards in my brain. I don't know if that's a, a clear answer, but it's an answer. Yeah. Well, and I, I don't know that any of us have the answer or there there is just one answer, but sure. you know, it's interesting to get your perspective on that. And you know, it also makes me think about, I mentioned this earlier on and, you know, sitting behind me right now are two stitched quotes related to vulnerability. It's something, um, are I you think saying that, wait, are you saying that dog mom is a stitched quote about vulnerability? I because know. It, is. it is. It's over here. Do you see it? I've got, yeah. I've got Cheryl Strait and Brene Brown sitting on my oh, shoulder sure. at all sure. time next to dog mom. I mean, really that's kind of me in a nutshell right here. So <laughs> thank you for noticing that. Um, yeah, maybe there's a vulnerability in me being a dog mom too. Well, but really, all it all it says is dog ma in uh, in, Wait, in, oh, see, in, now, in. Now we're really getting a plate like this camera angle. Mm -hmm. I like yep. this. I know. I know. It's like what exactly? Sometimes it just says mom, and I'm like, nope, uh, that's not me. I'm only a dog mom. Um, uh, but so vulnerability. So I mean, I love it, and it, you know, I embrace it. I think like one of these quotes says, vulnerability is strength, um, and I believe in that, and. Um, I think we're seeing a shift um, in some organizations and companies, particularly starting with the leadership um, in terms of being vulnerable and being transparent. I don't know if it works for everyone right now today, but I think it does make sense for some organizations. How do you feel about that? I mean, for me, Mortified, there is a vulnerability. I, as somebody who's participated as both a producer and a participant on stage um, yeah. in this beautiful project, uh, I, there was a vulnerability in that, and and but I felt so supported, and I felt safe in telling the story and community. Is there a place for vulnerability and transparency within within brands and organizations as well, and their relationship with customers? Yeah, I mean, um, I think there's a place for vulnerability in all parts of our society, and I think it is a weakness of our society that we believe weakness is weakness. I think that trust is. Mm. You know, uh, if 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 you're talking about a relationship, whether that is a human relationship 
or whether there's like a company to its customers or whatever. Um, trust, you can't have a relationship without trust. You can't communicate without trust. Like it is, it is the bedrock. So that's the unspoken agreement. And uh, being vulnerable is uh, a great way to do that. Um, you know, if a company screws up, uh, if they have a history of doing bad things to um, other people, uh, like if you're if you're like a cigarette company and you're like, yeah, we've been hiding this information for many years and trying to suppress certain things. And then it comes out that, oh, yeah, you've been jerks like um, it's a de- I, you know, not a publicist. So I don't know the how to ride that kind of thing. But like I do think it is just better to whatever you you will always um, I think you'll find success when you are. Uh, always keeping that bond of trust strong. Um, that's that's the only thing you can control because you can't really control much else. So it's like, well, at least if I'm if I'm being honest, and um, yeah, you know, just to kind of wrap things up, um, love everything that you've been sharing about storytelling. Um, tell us uh, what's next for you um, in terms of your projects. So I, uh, we're still making the Mortified podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you need a laugh during these oh-so-fun times, mm-hmm. um, uh, Mortified is, is a good source for that. Um, uh, and then, but I've been, if you're a parent, um, I, we're about to launch season two, or if you're an educator uh, of, of tweens, uh, we're launching season two of our podcast called Ooh, You're in Trouble. Uh, the first 12 episodes are already up. It's one of the, things I'm most proud of ever having done. Um, and um, it's an educational show, but it's really funny and fun. Also, I act on it sometimes. Oh. So you'll hear this idiot's voice um, <laughs> every once in a while. And then if you are looking for, uh, and then we're, we're continuing to wor- um, work on our, our game. We have a game out where you can basically tell stories at your home. The game is called I can't believe I did that, but it's a great way to challenge your friends to, um, you know, uh, to, 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 to dare them to share stories about their awkward childhood memories. And so it's a really great way to like learn about your friends and be like, Oh, I didn't know that about you. Yeah. Well, I have it right here. And what is it called? Oh, uh, Oh, Oh, look at this. Nice packaging. I watched a lot of prices, right. Growing up. And I would just like, You know, I can just kind of do that whole thing. Well, that, is, that is on Amazon or yeah. it's on getmortified.com. Yeah, I actually and bought it in one of my local stores here too. But I'm excited. I started um, going through this and I was thinking like there's a lot of different ways to use this game too. And for my own writing, I'm like, oh, this is kind of like good writing prompts too. There's a few things in here. I was like, huh, could you play this in a business setting? There's a couple of things in here. I'm like, mm, no, nah, I wouldn't want to pull that card um, in today's climate in a business setting. Yeah. But I think that this could be a great... Um, jumping off point again to think about the power of story and where does story come from and sort of the roots of story too. So um, Dave, thank you so much for your time. It's always so fun to talk to you and hear about everything going on in your world. And honestly, I've personally been so impacted by your creativity and your projects. And I just love to see how much it's grown um, and continues to grow and feel so fortunate that I got to be a part of that. And we've you know, speaking of full circle, coming full circle here and having you on the show to talk about how this applies in some other areas too. So thanks again for your time. Thanks, Sarah. I really appreciate it. You bet.